0: Take your Bibles and turn to Lamentations. I have been thinking about doing this series for a number of months now, ever since we finished 1 Peter and we are anticipating going to 2 Peter. And for some reason, God laid Lamentations on my heart thinking that it might be an appropriate interlude between First and Second Peter, which I think it is. In fact, as I was studying the book of Lamentations, I came across someone who said this. And, and by the way, if you remember, First Peter was a, a, a pocket guide for pilgrims, right? That's what we said it was all about and it was everything we needed to know for living our lives as aliens and strangers and pilgrims on our way to heaven. And so someone said this, that lament is the language of exiles and aliens on our pain-filled pilgrimage through this fallen world on our way home to heaven. Let me say that again. Lament is the language of exiles and aliens on our pain-filled pilgrimage through this fallen world on our way home to heaven. In other words, we should be familiar with, with lament. Whoever we are, or wherever we go, there is a sense that we are all broken and flawed people who live in a broken and and flawed planet, which is a result of what the Bible calls sin. There's not a place on the earth that is not affected by sin, nor is there a person on this earth that is not infected with sin. Our world and everyone in it is under the curse of sin, And that's why there's hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and floods and famines and droughts and all sorts of other natural disasters. That's why there's venomous animals and stinging plants and genetic diseases. That's why babies have birth defects and young mothers die of cancer and married couples remain infertile and teenagers die in car accidents and people commit suicide. That's why nations go to war and children get sexually abused and marriages end in divorce and politicians lie and cheat and terrorists blow themselves up and soldiers are killed by friendly fire. That's why there's so much pain and suffering and heartache in this world. It's because of sin. And Paul so aptly described In Romans 8.22, how the whole creation groans and suffers under the curse of sin and can't wait, can't wait to be redeemed from it, delivered from it. And we need to understand that the world we're living in right now is not the world that God made at first. Things were not this way before sin entered the world. Originally, the world was a a perfect paradise in which there was no such thing as sorrow or pain or suffering or death. And even to this day, the Garden of Eden remains the epitome of perfection. But everything changed that day when mankind rebelled against God. When Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit, a curse came upon them and all of their descendants and that curse remains to this day And that's why we all feel the effects of sin in our lives, whether that's the the general effects of a sin-cursed earth, when a tornado tears through your neighborhood, or the indirect effects of other people's sin, perhaps a a wayward child um, whose sin affects their parents and their other siblings. Or maybe it's the direct effects of your own sin when you commit adultery or some other sin. And it's as a result of sin's curse that every one of us has had to learn to live with pain and misery and mourning and heartache, sorrow and grief and suffering and tears. It's just a normal part of our lives. And the harsh reality is that we created The mess that we're in by not following God's commands and living according to his ways. And so we have no one else to blame but ourselves for our tragic plight. That's the bad news. (laughs) The good news is that in the midst of God cursing the world as punishment for man's sin, he promised to send someone someday who would remove the curse of sin that rests on all of us living on earth and that even rests on the earth itself. And of course, that someone is Jesus who came to this fallen, broken, sin-cursed world to rescue us from the pain and misery that we brought upon ourselves as a result of our sinful rebellion against God. And through his death and resurrection Jesus conquered sin and before he returned to heaven he promised to come back again and deliver us once and for all from the devastating effects of sin. And so in the meantime we can live amid the heartache of sin hoping for that day when sin's curse will be lifted and paradise will be restored. There is hope for a better life. There is hope for a better world. And that ray of hope shines forth all over the place in Scripture. But one of the places where this hope stands out the clearest and the brightest is in a very unlikely place in what may be the saddest and most neglected book of the Bible. I'm referring to The Lamentations of Jeremiah. This obscure little book was penned by the prophet Jeremiah as he sat mourning the destruction of Jerusalem and the deportation of the people of Judah by the Babylonians. This was one of the darkest moments in Israel's history. I assume you know a little bit about the history of Israel, but they got off to a a great start under the reign of King David, but shortly after the death of his son Solomon, the the nation experienced a civil war and it was divided into two kingdoms. The, The northern kingdom retained the name Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And the northern kingdom was led by one wicked king after another who led them away from God into all sorts of idolatry and immorality, And after ignoring the repeated warnings from many prophets that God sent to them to turn them back to him, Israel was conquered by the Assyrians and taken into captivity in 722 BC. And you would think that Judah would have learned a lesson from watching what had happened to Israel, but they themselves eventually followed in the same path of sinful rebellion against God. And so God raised up Jeremiah as a prophet to the nation of Judah, and he spent 40 years pleading with them to repent, or else God would judge them just like he had judged Israel. Tragically, Jeremiah's message was rejected by the people of Judah. They ignored him, they ridiculed him. They persecuted him, they despised him, they even conspired to kill him. They left him in a a well, threw him down in a pit because they were sick of hearing him and they just left him to die. And yet in spite of all that, Jeremiah remained faithful to the bitter end and was an eyewitness of the fulfillment of his own prophecies, unfortunately. Unfortunately when God sent the nation of Babylon to punish and destroy Judah and remove them from their land in 586 B.C. And you can read about this for yourself. 2 Chronicles 36, verses 11 to 21 is a summary of Judah's rebellion and the Babylonian destruction. But just to summarize it, the Babylonians came and laid siege to the capital city of Jerusalem, and eventually tore down the walls, and they burned the temple, and they took everything of value along with those who survived the invasion back to Babylon. But they spared Jeremiah. And he was left surveying the rubble of the holy city, this smoldering pile of ash And as he gazed at the devastation, he lamented, he grieved, he mourned, he cried a lot. Look at Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly in the night and her tears are on her cheek. She has none to comfort her. Verse 4 The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to the appointed feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning. Her virgins are afflicted, and she herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions. Verse 16 For these things I weep, my eyes run down with water because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. Verse 22, let all their wickedness come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me for all my transgressions, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. Chapter two, verse five, the Lord has become like an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has destroyed its strongholds and multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and moaning Verse 11, my eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Verse 18, their heart cried out to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let your tears run down like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, let your eyes have no rest. Chapter 3, Verse 48, my eyes run down with streams of water because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes pour down unceasingly without stopping. And then chapter five, verse 15, the joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, we have sinned. There is a reason why Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. And in order for us to understand lamentations, we need to see it in the context of the other book he wrote, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, which comes right before Lamentations, looks ahead to the destruction of Jerusalem, and it's filled with warning, whereas the book of Lamentations looks back at the destruction of Jerusalem, and it's filled with mourning. And so these five chapters are are really the sad sequel to the the book of Jeremiah. And they're really not a, a, a book so much as a collection of five, you ready for this? Depressing poems that Jeremiah wrote lamenting the death of Jerusalem. And in in those days, poems or songs were written to be recited or, or sung at someone's funeral, and they were purposely intended to exude sadness. And Jeremiah, in fact, used a poetic device called a limping meter where the second half of the verse has one less beat than the first half of the verse which gives these poems a, a melancholy rhythm and makes them sound like a funeral dirge. So the style itself that Jeremiah used supports his theme and, and helps us discern the main point that he wanted to make. And in and reading and, and studying Lamentations could be likened to attending a funeral. Not just any funeral, but the worst kind of funeral. A funeral for someone who killed themselves. Again, this isn't exactly the kind of place you would expect to find hope and encouragement. I mean, who likes to go to funerals? Whenever we go to to a funeral, the merry-go-round of life comes screeching to a halt and we're forced to stare death in the face. Sometimes, literally, if there's an open casket and you go to pay your respects, right, to your loved one, I mean, you, you stare death in the face. And it's awkward. And it makes us feel uncomfortable. But the Bible says it's better to go to a funeral than a party. Because you can learn more from a funeral than you can at a party. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 2, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning. And so just to warn you, We're gonna be spending the next several weeks at a funeral in a house of mourning. But there's a lot to learn in this house of mourning. Another interesting stylistic note here is all except for one of the five poems were written in the form of an alphabetical acrostic which was a familiar Hebrew Way of writing. Uh, Chapters 1, 2, and 4 have 22 verses, each starting with the 22 consecutive letters of the alphabet. So, verse 1 starts with the letter A, verse 2 starts with the letter B, and so forth, all the way through all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3 has 66 verses and repeats each letter three times. So, you have the first three verses start with A, 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 the next three verses B, B, B. In other words, it's clear that that there's something important happening uh, in chapter 3. It's the centerpiece of the book. And chapter 5, interesting, it has 22 verses like the first three, but it's not an acrostic. The orderly arrangement just kind of goes out the window. It kind of falls apart in the last chapter, which may reflect that in Jeremiah's mind, his world had fallen apart. I mean, this guy had just suffered a gut punch to his faith. And, of course, this format also served as an aid to memorizing and remembering the principles in this book. But the whole alphabet thing, it may have also served to express the full range of of physical, emotional pain and sorrow that Jeremiah experienced and that, that we experience as a result of our sin or, or somebody else's sin. So, so the book of Lamentations is, is, is suffering from A to Z. This is the, 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 you get the full experience here. Someone said this, one of the commonest ways to deal with suffering is to make light of it, to gloss over it, to attempt shortcuts through it, Because it is so painful, we try to get to the other side quickly. However, Lamentations provides a structure to guarantee against that happening. In other words, there's really no way to kind of just skim through Lamentations. I mean, it's just hard going. And you kind of feel like you're slogging through mud as you're walking through Lamentations. And there's actually a, a structure that's called a chiasm, which was another Hebrew method of writing, where uh, the first and second chapters parallel the fourth and fifth chapters. Chapter one and chapter five focus on people, while chapters two and chapter four focus on God. And, and it's actually, um, you're not just slogging through mud, you're, you're somehow going uphill at the same time. And so to get the picture here, here's chapter 1, here's chapter 2, here's chapter 3, here's chapter 4, here's chapter 5. So we see that this format that Jeremiah used was like an ascending staircase going up and going down. But again, what was the point of that? He wanted to make sure we understood that chapter 3 was the high point of the book. It was the, the turning point or the climax of the book where... He highlights a godly response of hoping in God amid the heartache of sin. And that's why I chose to use this as a subtitle: Hoping in God Amid the Heartache of Sin. It comes straight from Lamentations chapter 3, which is the heart of the book. And the heart of the heart of the book is verses 19 through 24. Look at that with me. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. We already had this up on the wall during that last song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, which by the way is where, from, this is the passage from where we get that hymn. This is Lamentations 3.19. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind and therefore I have hope. Wow, Jeremiah, you said you had lost all hope but then you remembered something and then you had hope again, what was it that you remembered? Verse 22, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. And so at the point where Jeremiah felt like he was drowning In in a a sea of sorrow as a result of, of Judah's sin and he had lost all hope, he found a lifeline in the character of God, particularly his unceasing love, his unending mercy and his unfailing faithfulness. And even though the the situation was bleak, Jeremiah was confident that God would be faithful to restore his unfaithful people according to his promises that are as certain as the dawn. Beloved, no matter how dark the night is or how long the night is, the sun always rises. The sun always rises it is very deliberate that we found this picture with the horizon, the sun coming up over the horizon on this parched earth. What a sweet reminder that even when we've been unfaithful to God, he will always be faithful to us. We need to remember that Jeremiah didn't write this to us, he wrote this to those who had survived the siege and had been carted off to Babylon. They were living as as exiles in Babylon and he wanted to comfort them and, and help them cope with the catastrophic consequences of their sin. And so he wanted them to, first of all, grieve over their sin. And so he Humbly identified with these rebellious stiff-necked people as a, as a fellow sufferer. The fact that Jerusalem was sacked and, and they were taken away into exile wasn't Jeremiah's fault. He, he was doing what God had called him to do. He was preaching the truth. It was the people's fault. And yet he put himself alongside them and wept with them and for them like James said to in James 4.9, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And he graciously reminded them what Job 5.18 says that the one who inflicts pain also gives relief and the one who wounds also heals. He was doing what, what Paul said in Romans 12.15 to, to weep with those who weep. So I think the question we need to ask ourselves is how do we respond to those that maybe we've warned about the potential consequences of their sinful actions or decisions when your predictions, when our predictions sadly come true. How many times as parents we might warn our kids about not participating in that activity or not spending time with those people and we give them the freedom to make their choices and they do it anyway and then they come back having to deal with the consequences of their decisions. Or a fellow Christian that Maybe we're discipling, we've come alongside, we're encouraging, we're, we're concerned about something in their life and so we, we warn them about something and, and, and the exact thing we warn them of happens. The question is, how do we respond? Do we genuinely grieve with them or do we gloat over them? Do we graciously point them back to God or do we say, I told you so. You made your bed, now sleep in it. Are you as compassionate and merciful to others as God is towards you when you sin? How about especially toward those who, in your estimation, don't deserve maybe your mercy or grace? I think sometimes it's not easy to feel compassion for people who have messed up their lives. In other words, it's their fault. But what if you were God? <laughs> or what if God were like you? Maybe is the better way to say it. So Jeremiah wanted them to grieve and so he modeled what that looked like. But at the same time, he wanted to make sure that, that they grieved with hope. The way Paul told the believers in Thessalonica to respond to the death of a loved one, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And as Christians, we should deal with the pain and the sorrow of living in a sin-cursed world differently than those who are without God and, and, and without hope in this world. I'll never forget having to officiate a a funeral for a young high school girl when I was a youth pastor in California. She had committed suicide and she came from a Catholic background and so all of her family as the Catholic doctrine teaches, that's the unpardonable sin. No no way you can escape hell after if you commit suicide. And so I had the joy of comforting the family and saying, listen, where you spend eternity is not determined whether or not you commit suicide, it's whether or not you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And thankfully, this young lady had made a profession of faith in Christ. And sadly, in a weak moment, as a young believer, she took her life. But I'll never forget being at the graveside there, in Burbank, right by the airport, and I felt completely helpless to minister to these people who were just grieving without hope, hanging over the tombstones all around the gravesite, just sobbing uncontrollably, unconsolable. They had zero hope. But the reason we're able to grieve with hope Even when we're grieving over sin and its tragic consequences, it's because God is faithful to provide us solace in our sorrow. In the midst of our disgrace, God demonstrates His grace. In the midst of our misery, God displays His mercy and were it not for the un- unending mercies of god none of us would be able to cope with the uh, unending miseries of sin that we all experience throughout our lifetime in fact if it weren't for the misery of sin we would never know the mercy of god aw tozier in his classic book the knowledge of the holy in a chapter about god's mercy he said quote were there no guilt in the world no pain and no tears god would yet be infinitely merciful but his mercy might well remain hidden in his heart, unknown to the created universe. No voice would be raised to celebrate the mercy of which none felt the need. It is human misery and sin that calls forth the divine mercy. That's why we love to sing his mercy is what? More. So even when we've made a huge mess of our lives, we can find comfort and hope amidst the grief and the pain by clinging to God's love and faithfulness and casting ourselves on His mercy. One commentator summarized the purpose of Lamentations with this sentence. Lamentations was written as a testimony to the sovereign faithfulness of God in judgment and the enduring mercies of God in the face of overwhelming pain, grief, sorrow, despair, and devastation. We've got a lot to learn together as we study through this very odd, perhaps uncomfortable book. But let me just close this morning with just suggesting some initial implications or applications uh, uh, from the book of Lamentations. First of all, uh, and by the way, both positive and negative. So let's look first of all at the negative, okay? Negatively speaking, the Lamentations of Jeremiah serve as a sobering warning of the tragic and painful consequences of sin. Galatians 6 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. And so in Lamentations, we see Judah reaping what they sowed, or for, for mocking the voice of God through the prophet Jeremiah. They, they were suffering the consequences of their sin, and, and they had brought God's discipline down upon themselves. No other. The book of the Bible really addresses the issue of suffering, maybe except for Job. But what's unique about Lamentations is it tackles the painful issues of suffering that are caused as a direct consequence of, of sin. Job is 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 about the suffering of the righteous right Job was righteous Lamentations is 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 suffering is about the suffering of the unrighteous Job's suffering was undeserved the nation of Judah's suffering was deserved And so I think the Spirit's purpose in inspiring Jeremiah to write this was to reveal the horror and and the heartache that results from sin, but at the same time to reveal the hope and the help that can be found in God. And we must never forget when we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. When we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. And this book should keep us from sinning because we don't want to have to suffer the consequences of our sin. We we don't want to have to go through all the sadness and the sorrow and the heartache that sin brings into our lives and the lives of all those that our sin affects. God didn't hesitate to discipline his beloved people and he will not hesitate to discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12. As a loving father disciplines his children, so God disciplines us Chuck Swindoll made this profound statement in the preface to his commentary on Lamentations he said this quote sin in spite of all of its allurement and excitement carries with it the heavy weights of sorrow, grief, misery barrenness and pain Lamentations is Jeremiah's grim reminder that a holy God will not remain silent forever when his people disobey him At one time or another, all of us have enjoyed the fleeting pleasures of sin. Perhaps while engaged in wicked delights, some of us even considered the potential consequences of our wrongdoing. Chances are, however, that these thoughts were quickly shrugged off or ingeniously rationalized away. Because we are sinners by nature, we are prone to shove aside the anguishing reality of the effects of compromise so that we can more thoroughly embrace the thrills of evil. Realizing this, the Lord has graciously inspired and preserved the lamentations of Jeremiah, which records the devastating consequences that flowed from Judah's rebellion against God. As we read the pages of this book, we will find ourselves examining our lives and asking ourselves if the bitter fruit of disobedience is worth the tremendous price it exacts. How tragic are the consequences of sin Though sin tantalizes us with promises of lasting happiness and satisfaction, it delivers only fleeting joy and robs us of all that makes life worth living. Lamentation stands as a potent reminder to all generations that the pathway from God, or excuse me, the path away from God leads to heartache and destruction, whereas the road to him brings contentment and the fullness of life everlasting. Which brings us to the positive, implications or application. Some of you may be familiar with a, a new book that came out several years ago, I guess, called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. I am um, began reading that this week and gonna be using it and incorporating as much of it as possible into this series. But the author said this, lamentations invites us to grieve, struggle, and tap into the rich reservoir of grace and mercy God offers in the darkest moments of our lives. And as we go through lamentations, we're going to learn it's okay to cry. It's, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to wonder Why? And to come to God with all of our doubts and our, our fears and our frustrations, knowing that our Heavenly Father can handle all of our tough questions. In fact, the book opens with the question, how? It's the very first word, how? As, almost to, as if almost to just to launch into, you know, this encouragement to ask the, the hard questions. How did this happen? How could have this happened? How could this have happened? And and when our life has just been blown up by our sin, we ask ourselves, uh, well, how can we go on? Or maybe someone else's sin, right, blows up in our face. No fault of our own. Well, how can we survive? These are the questions that we, we ask ourselves. And we can put our hope in God's mercy that even when we find ourselves in a mess of our own making, If we humbly confess our sins and and turn to him for forgiveness and restoration, there's hope. Look at the last four verses of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter five, verse 19. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us so long? Restore us to you, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm loving how this is ending it's ending on a high note. Well, then there's verse 22. Unless you have utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with us. In fact, Jews don't like the way Lamentations ends. And so whenever they read it in a public setting, they'll read verse 22, and then they'll go back and read verse 21 and end on that because we like that better. What's the point? Jeremiah was very raw and realistic. And he recognized that it was highly likely that the people felt like God had rejected them because of their sin. And it made them wonder whether he was going to leave them in their present state. That's it, I'm done with you all. Have fun in Babylon. And so they perhaps were asking themselves, has God rejected us for good? Are we beyond redemption? Maybe that's a question that you've asked yourself. Has God rejected me for good? Am I beyond redemption? Well, the gospel according to Lamentations is this, that the answer to those questions are found in Christ. Which is who Lamentations ultimately points to because Jeremiah is a type or a, an example or a model of Christ and, and, and Jeremiah's life and ministry foreshadowed the life and ministry of Christ. In fact, some people thought Jesus was Jeremiah come back from the dead. You can read that in Matthew 16. And Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus because of the pain and the heartache that that sin caused to this family who was so heartbroken at the loss of their brother. Jesus also wept over the city of Jerusalem, just like Jeremiah. Luke 13, Luke 19. He shed a tear and he cried out, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. How I wanted to to gather you under my wings like a, a mother hen and yet you wouldn't have me. And like Jeremiah, he was, Jesus was despised. He was rejected by men, a man of sorrows and, and acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53.3. But the good news is he was rejected utterly so that we wouldn't have to be. And that's what was going on on the cross when Jesus was suffering the consequences of our sin. He famously quoted Psalm 22, which is one of the most familiar psalms of lament. My God, my God, why hast thou, what, forsaken me? And not only was Jesus rejected by his own father on the cross, he was rejected by the Jews who had him crucified And as a consequence, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem on the exact same day of the year when the Babylonians had destroyed Jerusalem centuries earlier. How ironic. And since that day, God's people have been waiting for Christ to return and to recreate the earth and reign over the new heavens and the earth and remove the curse of sin along with all of its devastating consequences. And heaven is described in Revelation chapter 21 as a place where there is no sorrow, no pain, no death, where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Why? Because without sin, there's no reason to cry. There's no more need for tears. And so this hope of a better life, a a better world, can only be found through a relationship with Jesus Christ, who endured the mercies, excuse me, who endured the miseries of sin so that we could experience the mercies of God. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, the author says this, Lament is the song we sing while living in a world that is under the curse of sin. Lament longs for the day when cities like Jerusalem will no longer be leveled. There will be no lament in the new Jerusalem. So beloved, let's remember during our sojourn here in this ruined city called Planet Earth, That we are citizens of a far greater, better, more enduring city. And may the sin that we have to deal with while living in this world, whether it's the sin in our lives or the sin in other people's lives, may that make us yearn more for eternity where our earthly groanings will be replaced with heavenly praises. I can hardly wait. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the providential intersection of a very painful situation in our church and a beautiful section of your work. And it just gives us hope and confidence that you are smack dab in the middle of all this and smack dab in the middle of all the other painful situations that people in our church family are experiencing right now in their lives, or will experience in the future. That you've got this, and you're good, and you're faithful, and you're worthy to be trusted. And so we worship you, and we praise you, and we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.